Welcome to Around the Writer's Table, a podcast focusing on the crossroads of creativity, craft, and conscious living for writers of all ages and backgrounds. Your hosts are Gina, Melody, and Kim Boo, three close friends and women of a certain age who bring to the table their eclectic backgrounds and unique perspectives on the trials, tribulations, and the joys of writing. So pull up a chair and get comfortable here around the writer's table. Welcome back to Around the Writer's Table. I'm Melody, a scout, and I'm here with my two partners in crime, writing crime, editing crime, just basic (laughs) crime. (laughs) Uh, I plead the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) It was Kimbu York, our (laughs) resident uh, genre novelist and former project manager who helps writers create holistic productivity in their creative lives. And Gina Hogan Edwards, who is passionate. Hey, Gina. Passionate (laughs) about supporting women in finding their voices on the page. Uh, I think you can tell, like, we're, you know, audience just love us because we are all, it's been a week for all three of us. So we need the love. We we need the love to make it through this episode. We're good. We're we're trying hard for you. Yep. So here we go. And this uh, week's episode is another chapter in the creativity cycle. This structure was created by Gina. It's fascinating about the creative cycle process for any creative types, not just writers, but we're talking about writers today. And today's um, subject phase, part of the cycle, is going to be on emulating and mirroring the muscle building, beginner's mind, where we learn and absorb And Gina, I would love for you to tell us more about this part of the creativity cycle. Sure. Thank you, Melody. Um, So we've already talked about a couple of stages that I'll just briefly touch on. And I also want to qualify the name that we have been applying to this process that we're speaking about is the creativity cycle. And as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, we don't go through this creative process in any sort of sequential fashion whatsoever. Um, We often go through the stages and we may repeat stages. We may skip over some stages. Um, You know, the different challenges and issues that we face in each stage will vary in intensity. Um, And so this cycle that we talk about is not technically a cycle. So I've started referring to it as a creativity quest. And when we get to particular stages, as we discuss them, uh, I will try to note each time if there is a tendency in a particular stage to do what I call looping, where we go back and we have to repeat another stage to get back to where we are now at a different level. Um, Or if we might skip uh, the next stage and move on because we've perhaps been at that stage before and we don't need to repeat that one. And so that's a convoluted way of me saying that this is not a linear process. (laughs) 
No, actually, I just I just got to say, I got to jump in there. It's like you, you told me you were changing it to the creativity quest. And as like a genre romance fantasy author, I was like, yes, we're going on a quest. I love it. <laughs> that does feel definitely feels more apropos. And and, you know, there are other models for this. You know, there's Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. Um, there's, uh, you know, all different kinds of ways to describe this journey that we we call the creative journey, whether you're a writer or any kind of an artist. Um, and it's just a way for us to think about the different phases that we go through and the obstacles and and also how to deal with the, the successes, whether they're expected or not. So that's what we've been focusing on. And today's stage is emulating and mirroring, which is the one that follows releasing, which is what we talked about in episodes 20 and 21, right, ladies? Yes, ma'am. Got my numbers right here. Okay. And then in the episodes prior to that, we talked about the first stage called carrying inner disquiet. So you can go back to those and listen to them. And there are also worksheets for each one. So that brings us. We'll have have direct links as part of the resources for the show notes for this episode to those episodes. Excellent. So that brings us to the, the current stage, our topic for today, emulating and mirroring. So the way I think of this stage, you know how when you engage in whatever artistic endeavor it is that that you're wanting to do, and of course we talk mostly about writers, so when you when you picked up a book that just really, you know, sucked you into the story or the words that the writer was using were just so impactful to you and you're like I want to write like that. Have either of you ever had an instance like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, for sure. Actually, a recent one I had, and Gina, you know this because I came basically crying to you about it, um, was Victoria Goddard's uh, Hands of the Emperor, which is a very long fantasy novel, very... Um, just amazing. And like, literally I was in tears at the end of it and I just threw it at Gina and I'm like, tell me how she did it. I want to know. <laughs> Cause it's fantastic. It's just, yeah. I mean, if I could write like that, oh man. Mm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? How about you, Melody? Uh, back in the day, I loved uh, Anita Shreve and Sue Miller books and I thought their characters were always fascinating. And uh, the way that they described this inner journey that their characters went on to me just drew me in. Mm. Uh, but recently I have been having some movie nostalgia. So I've been watching some older classic movies and I rewatched Out of Africa and it made me mm. want to read the book. And so mm. I am reading now Out of Africa and the way that uh, Karen, I think it's Blinken is her last name, um, writes these hugely descriptive paragraphs about the beauty of Africa and the, the landscape and the native peoples there and her love for the land and everything. It's like, oh boy, I would love, 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 love to be able to do that. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. So do that. 
so when we say that, you know, when we do recognize that someone is doing something in a way that, that we would like to somehow um, emulate, what we're saying is that, you know, we may like the way that they develop their characters. We may like the way that they, you know, use unusual words to describe things. What I have found when I've been talking about this creative cycle with folks is that when I get to the emulating and mirroring stage, um, just hearing those words, emulating and mirroring, a lot of people go, ooh, we can't do that because they think what I'm talking about is basically copying somebody else's work, which absolutely is not what this stage is about. Um, this stage is about us engaging with mentors, identifying what the things are that we may like in others' work so that we can do what Kimbu referenced in Victoria Goddard's work and go, how did she do that? And then how can I claim that and do that in my own way? And so this is a very, very much uh, a learning stage. This is a stage in which we need to have beginner's mind. We are building our skills and our strengths by looking to those people that we admire by working with, if we're lucky enough to have mentors who are actually present with us instead of simply um, people that we look up to. But this is not about copying. Now, what I will say too, that I have noticed, other artistic endeavors besides writing are much better at doing this as a deliberate practice than writers are. So, for instance, dancers, you know, they may duplicate the dance of another well-respected, well-known dancer that they love. Uh, a pianist will pet play the works of, you know, the of Beethoven and Bach or whoever it is that they admire. Um, artists will deliberately practice styles of the classic artists so that they can hone their skills. But what I don't see writers often doing, it does happen, but what I don't often see them doing is reading a piece like Hemingway and then as a deliberate practice, attempting to use the same kind of style or the same kind of voice that he does. And you can name any writer. I just happened to pull him out of my hat. But um, that's, a, that's an interesting observation from my point as a coach that I see other um, types of creative people doing a deliberate practice of emulating their um, people that they admire in whatever field that they're in. But writers don't often do that. Um, have, what, what do you guys think about that? Well, I... Actually, as we were talking about it, I realized it wasn't very intentional on my part. But when I was writing my nonfiction book, Soul of the Seasons, I was doing exactly that uh, because I had drawn on some of my favorite spiritual nonfiction writers and I had incorporated some of their stuff into my early first drafts and Gina as my editor you didn't say that to me uh, but 
you made some suggestions on our first go round, um, and then you know handed it back to me to do with it what I will. And when I came back with the second, I don't know, second or third round, I can't remember which phase it was, but you wrote or fourth or fifth, who knows? It it could have been <laughs> revision two thousand seven hundred sixty one. You came back with a really amazing note that I think I printed out somewhere uh, where you said I had mm. come into my own voice mm. and, and that nice. I had cut away the excess. It was not exactly your words, but it was like, you got it. You're on. Keep mm -hmm. going. So that was really good to hear. And like a lot of stuff in my life, it was nothing intentional. <laughs> it was like, oh, I did that. That was cool. Um, but I can see the importance of that. Being kinda... That is a perfect illustration of if we do allow ourselves to do this, um, you can call it whatever you want, you know, deliberate mimicking, writing practice, whatever, uh, of those that we admire, after a while, we do come into our own voice because we we will know intuitively what aspects of that feel right for us to internalize and to incorporate into our own writing. And actually, this stage, if you stay in it too long, after a while, it gets really dissatisfying. It's easy to get stuck in that rut. Um, especially if you're not uh, purposefully pursuing trying to find your own voice. It's easy to get stuck in emulating and mirroring. But if you want to really lean into who you are as a writer, after a while, the stage is going to feel really dissatisfying. So tell me more about what getting stuck in this phase might look like. Can I answer I, that? Yes, please. I'd love that. <laughs> because I did. I did. I was going to say, it sounds like I a did. voice of experience speaking. Oh, here. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was trying to uh, hone my uh, creative writing style. And so I was reading a lot of uh, not straight out comedic writing, uh, you know, but what I'm thinking of, what, what, what happened is like, what happened was, is that I read a lot of Mark Twain and I started, you know, and as, as I was writing and as writing, I kept studying his work and reading more and reading his short stories and reading his novels and just, you know, delighting in the wordplay. And then I was writing some blog posts and, I didn't even think of it, but one of my friends read one of my blog posts and was like, wow, man, that could have been written by Mark Twain. And I was like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, you know, it wasn't emulating and mirroring in, in the sense of learning from his skill set. It was emulating and mirroring as in copying. And mm -hmm. I, I then had to like reverse course and like purposely not read his work and really try to hone in on my own voice because I just I the fact that my friend 
no, said that to me just out of the blue, like, wow, yeah, I really did it to myself there. Yeah, I think that's, that's a perfect example. And um, being, being aware of doing it as a purposeful act is one thing. But when it becomes sort of an accident that is, uh, you know, that was coincidental in timing. You know, you had just been reading Mark Twain. Your friend didn't know you'd been reading Mark Twain. Not that but then I'm when, aware of. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> and like, then I was just. And then when she noted it, you know, obviously there is some correlation between the two things. And that is ex- ex- uh, actually a reason why a lot of writers will not read in the genre that they write in while they are in the process of writing their next piece. Yeah. And I have to be very careful with that because I've noticed that in myself is like, you know, I love Southern fiction. So if I read something like Wiley Cash or Ron Rash while I am in the process of writing, I can find myself sort of using the same kind of um, tone that they use. And it may not necessarily be right for, for the book that I'm writing. Now, again, if it's a deliberate practice and I'm trying to see how that does feel. And there's so many things that you can emulate. You know, there's there's voice, there's style, there's the way somebody uh, characterizes, um, there's structure, uh, especially when it comes to nonfiction. You know, looking at the structure of someone's nonfiction book. Uh, and maybe, you know, somehow mirroring that, but tailoring it to whatever your specific content is. So this is a really, um, it's kind of a little bit of a sticky uh, stage in a way, because some people do feel weird about purposefully mimicking other writers, but I highly advocate it when it's done as an intentional practice not to uh, copy, but to just give ourselves the freedom to explore different ways of doing things so that we can figure out what our own way is. I think, I think for me, that was, that's the difference that we're talking about is like, I was studying Mark Twain to try to figure out the beats of the comedy. Like it's a lot of his comedy writing is very dry, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. not very obvious, but then at the at the point where I was internalizing it so much, I was subconsciously copying him, which was not on purpose. So I think you really got into both, you know, the benefit of studying it, which has served me well over the years, but on the flip side, being aware of what you're doing and purposely, you know, putting the brakes on copying, yeah, was, right. for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting so close to whatever that voice or tone is that somebody goes, oh, that's Mark Twain. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, that was not the plan. <laughs> yes. So uh, you guys both mentioned a couple of writers that, you know, at some point when you were reading their work, you went, oh, I want to write like that. Uh, have you got any more examples of that in your life? Well, I don't know. I like a lot of different genres. It took me a while. And writing nonfiction is definitely different in style and tone than writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Because with fiction, at least for me, I'm working with the characters and their personalities and what their own tone would be. Um, it's 
when I read, I'm not one of those who say never, I'll never read. I do have a tendency to be chameleon-like. It's an adaptive quality. <laughs> I learned early in life for survival <laughs> reasons. Um, so I can, you know, when I get down south here, I can talk like y'all. And then when I'm up north, I have that them dare northerners talk when I come back from up north. <laughs> So I, I am aware of that in myself, but uh, for me to be true to my story and my characters and the material in nonfiction, I think is a challenge. And with the nonfiction work, when I wrote Soul of the Seasons, I had to present the material because it's based on five element medicine and has a certain structure to it. But I also wanted to have my own tone and cadence where I developed that during the book, which mm -hmm. felt like a good place. That felt authentic to me when I mm -hmm. got to that place. Mm. Uh, for me, it's like a, a long list of authors um, over lifetime, right? But mm -hmm. I think if I had to pick one that stood out the most that I returned to a lot, it would be um, C.J. Cherry, um, who is a science mm -hmm. fiction and fantasy author. And I have loved the way she humanizes her characters. She writes a lot of space operas, and it would be very easy and certainly I've read a lot of science fiction and fantasy where the, the point is the plot, right? It's like, oh, the, you know, the wizard has to get the arc, get the artifact and take it like whatever. But uh, with, with her work that I always admired and go back to when I'm rereading it is that it is truly driven around these interesting characters and whether they had to go on a quest or not, you'd still want to read about them because they're just, they're very interesting people. And even in the, the epic space operas that she's done over the years, she's managed to keep that kind of closeness mm -hmm. to the humanity of her characters, even when they're aliens, like even when they're just weirdos that you don't really understand too much, you understand that they have a world and they have a psychology that's theirs, even if we don't understand it. And she's really good at that. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one author I've come back to over and over again over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you guys would probably have, you know, several different authors. <laughs> I, I gave you a lovely answer last time in it, but it really didn't answer your question. I just realized, and the <laughs> couple of author, actual authors, instead of my writing style, uh, would be for nonfiction, spiritual writing, Carolyn Mace, which I have followed for years mm -hmm. and years. She has the ability to be very direct and hone on in deep spiritual truths. Uh, very, her writing is very lean and intense and very deep. And also um, Anne Lamott. I just, I love mm. the way she writes. I love oh, the yeah. way she brings humor into what she's trying to teach us. And uh, also someone who brings out deep spiritual truths with, with humor and precision. Each of you identified qualities, which I think is important. Um, when we look to our 
those that we admire, and we can identify particular characteristics about their writing, then uh, using those characteristics to practice and play around with in our own writing, then it feels much less like we're copying work, but more like learning. And it's important that we frame this stage as a learning stage. If you've looked at the uh, graphic image of this cycle that we posted um, with one of the first episodes when we talked about it, and we'll post it again with this episode, uh, the first five stages of this cycle are mostly inner work, and the second five stages are mostly outer work. Uh, And again, we don't travel these linearly, but uh, just recognizing that you know, emulating and mirroring is very much about learning, about being willing to explore, uh, being mm-hmm. willing to absorb the possibilities of what is out there for us in the writing world that we may want to internalize and incorporate into our own writing. You know, it's interesting because when you mentioned earlier about how artists and dancers emulate other performers or other artists, and, and I'm thinking of artists who copy the old masters to understand that they're not doing it for the product, right? right? They're doing it to understand how the oil paint laid on and the layers and the shapes and the colors and how to mix the colors. And they're very aware that they're doing that. And I, I, it's really insightful that I think that you really nailed the fact that Writers, we aren't really taught that. Like nobody ever said, Mm -hmm. okay, now write something like Hemingway, write something like Mark Twain, write something like Anne Lamott. And, you know, these days we can go to chat GTP and have them, you know, write like Anne Lamott. That's not very ethical, but you can, I mean, if you want an Mm -hmm. example of that kind of writing, right. But for us as artists ourselves, no matter whether we're writing genre fiction or great, you know, the great American novel, understanding the techniques that these for lack of a better term, masters, mm-hmm. old masters have used. Uh, yeah, I, I really do think that's missing in a lot. I mean, I haven't taken, uh, soup, I hit my microphone, sorry. I have not taken any high-level creative writing courses. So I don't know, is that something that's done in creative writing programs? I've never encountered any. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. But your analogy with the painters, I think, is actually the perfect one because the ways that they're taught to, you know, sort of in a way reverse engineer, you know, a painting Mm -hmm. like how did that artist use color? How did they use that particular stroke to accomplish that look? You know, when we when we think about that in terms of writing, it's like, you know, how did that writer come up with such a incredible visual image of that setting, you know, and, and again, reverse engineering it to see how we might be able to do that ourselves um, using our own voice. And, you know, in, in writing, we're told over and over and over again, find your own voice, find your own voice, find your own voice. And the only way to do that is with practice is with writing the words, with getting the words on the page. And the more and the more and the more and the more of it you do, the closer you get to finding your own voice. And I think that playing with the work of the masters in this way can be actually a fun way of us finding our own voice. Absolutely. And I do remember that point in the process when writing Cold Soul of the Seasons, 
where I could see. It was like I was looking at the work through different eyes and I could see those portions that did not ring true to me, even though they may have been well written. Um, and so that, mm. that discovery was really very helpful to me to, yeah. and made it much easier going forward to have some clarity because when, if somebody just asked me before this stuff, what is your voice? I wouldn't have had a clue. I, I don't know. I just write. <laughs> I don't know that stuff. Yeah. So I think, unless you all have anything to add or have any questions for me, I think that pretty much wraps up the emulating and mirroring stage. Um, that will take us, well, let's see, we'll have a worksheet that we'll put at the on our website, which is aroundthewriterstable.com, along with the graphic of the entire process. So you'll know where this fits in. And so for our next episode, we're still going to continue to talk about emulating and mirroring, but within the framework of Melody's book, Soul of the Seasons, and how it relates to that process. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Melody? Yes, I, I'm excited. I've actually been making notes as we're talking because all these little ideas are <laughs> popping up about the correlation about this uh, part of the creativity cycle creativity quest and how it relates to the season of spring. And I would recommend you go back. We've had several podcasts in the past about the season of spring and how that works into the writing process. So I recommend you go back into on our uh, podcast site and take a look at those. And I'm really excited about delving into this because this is a season where we often, as writers, I found, get stuck. Mm. Yeah. So. We, that's not something we want to do, right? <laughs> uh, Keep moving. Not, not on purpose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us and sharing your precious time with us today. I really uh, appreciate that. And if you want to know more, if you want to find our worksheets, please go to our website, aroundthewriterstable.com, and check out uh, not only this podcast, but all our previous podcasts. You'll find the worksheets there. Be sure to re uh, leave a comment or give us a review. We love you. Keep coming back and join you on the flip side for our next one. Thank you. Yeah, Bye, listeners. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us around the writer's table. Please feel free to suggest a topic or a guest by emailing info at aroundtheridertstable.com. Music provided with gracious permission by Langtree. A link to their music is on our homepage at aroundtheridertstable.com. Everyone here around the writer's table wishes you joy in your writing and everyday grace in your living. Take care until next time.